0: Following program is brought to you by your friends at Podcast 1. Man, I love this time of year. The NFL and NCAA football season is here, and it's time to take that pigskin knowledge to the bank at betdsi.com. BetDSI is celebrating 20 years online and has built an impeccable reputation for great service and fast payment of your winnings and to help you get started with some extra bang for your buck bet dsi is offering double your money on your first deposit that's right double your money just deposit to start winning and get up to twenty five hundred dollars free that's double your money right from the get-go so join BetDSI.com today by using promo code taffer 101 and you've already won by doubling your bankroll right out of the gate yep that's promo code taffer 101 to get in the action. And get paid. And get this now you can join the Bet DSI 2018 Handicappers Cut. Players must make five plays each week to be eligible for that week's free play prize. $25 free play at betdsi.com. And over the entire season, if you have the most winning picks, you have a shot at the grand prize of $1,000. You can go to BetDSI.com to see my picks and for more details on the contest. And for terms and conditions, go to BetDSI.com. And I hope you join me each week. Well, everybody knows I love my BetDSI. So these are my picks for NFL Week 6. The Buccaneers at Falcons, I'm going Falcons minus three and a half. Chargers at Browns, I'm going Browns, plus one and a half. Jaguars at Cowboys, I'm going Jaguars, minus three. Chiefs at Patriots, I'm going Chiefs, plus three. And the 49ers at Packers, I'm going Packers, down nine and a half. Those are my picks for week six. Let's see how I do. This is No Excuses with John Taffer. I'm John Taffer, best selling author, bar rescue guru, and soon your new best friend. I've got a lot of shit for us to talk about, so stop making excuses and let's get started because this gets real right now. All the way from the studios at Podcast One, here's John Taffer. Ah, right, here it is. Second week of. Of October, a whole new episode of uh, No Excuses with John Taffer. This is a great week for two reasons. One, one of my favorite owners from Bar Rescue is going to be on for a few minutes. Shelton, who owned the Casbah in Denver. And I'm going to tell a secret story about the time I almost fainted with him. He hugged me so tight. I literally almost went down. And then one of my favorite guests ever. I I hate to say this because it's sort of unfair because I love everyone. But Jenny McCarthy is with me this week. KC, are you a Jenny McCarthy fan? I am a big Jenny McCarthy fan. I love her. I think she's great. Me too. You know how I met her years ago, Jenny? Uh, 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 I read in an article, in like a People Magazine article, that Jenny and, and Donnie Wahlberg, her husband, would lay in bed on Sundays and watch bar rescue marathons. And that was their secret, is they were really lazy, and that's what they do all day Sunday. And through that, somehow we met through that initial connection, and I've done her serious show, shoot, a bunch of times, four or five times, and we've become really good friends. <laughs> And uh having Jenny on my show so I get to ask the questions, KC. Every time I'm on her show or I'm around her, I never get to ask Jenny McCarthy the kind of questions that I wanna ask her. <laughs> Big difference from what I want to ask her to what she probably wants to talk about. But but you know, Jenny and I are gonna go at it. I really want to talk about, you know, understanding how she became Jenny McCarthy, so I'm pretty excited about that, buddy. And uh, another pretty exciting week in football. Very exciting week in politics. And, you know, last week we talked about should there be rules in politics. And, you know, a lot of people, and I didn't take either side of the issue, but a lot of people agreed. Casey, okay, so we need to be more civil to each other. We yeah. need to get along better. You know what I mean? Yeah, I agree. So, you know, the fact that we got a few people talking about that last week is pretty cool. So, so uh, I was looking – because I do Fox Business every once in a while. It's do Stuart Varney show. I do it about every other week. And I was looking at small business statistics. And do you know that 3.1 million people quit their jobs in July, Casey, because they feel they can get a better job or they're going to start a small business?
1: I'm not surprised, actually.
0: It's really cool to hear that. Yeah. Don't you agree? Yeah, that it is. That, People are stepping forward with their lives, man. They're, they're, they're not holding back. Then I read that roughly 879,000 new small businesses were filed uh, uh, this quarter. So it's really exciting to hear that, that you know people are changing careers. They're doing it for all the right reasons, for more money, greater opportunity. It's pretty freaking cool. So I thought in celebration of this sort of business boom that we're having, I want to talk about some business statistics today because a lot of people, Casey, are thinking of starting their own business these days. Are any of your friends talking about that at all?
1: You know what's funny, John? I saw the, the, the craziest startup yesterday. Uh, two guys quit their jobs and are now going around the concerts charging people to use the bathroom. Really? Yeah. That's a new business. And they're doing so, well.
0: So do they charge more for a double flusher than they do <laughs> a simple <laughs> flusher? Or is it just a flat fee? It,
1: it's $3 for one time use, $10 all day. Oh, okay.
0: So it's not one for one, two for a goose, <laughs> no. nothing like that.
1: Because because
0: you think one is much more difficult to deal with after the fact than, than the other. You know what I'm saying? You think it would be reasonable for them to say, "Listen, you know, there's a different fee structure for each one." <laughs> so, so it's interesting to see how they structure their, their pricing in that one, KC. But you know, a lot of my friends are too. You know, they're, they're really looking at leaving their jobs. Some of them are looking at franchises, which is interesting because there's a zillion franchises out there now. We'll talk about that in a minute. But I wanted to pull some business statistics that I thought would really surprise us because this is the time to think about our futures. It really is. And if you're going to do something based upon the economic numbers and the outlook going forward the next couple of years, this is a great time to do it. So here's a couple of interesting statistics. These are failure rate statistics for new businesses. A bit more than 50% of small businesses fail in the first four years. In fact, of all small business starts since 2011, 4% made it to the second year, 3% made it to the third year, 9% made it to the fourth year, and 3% made it to the fifth year. So you got to work it, man. I just wanted to share with everyone. It's not a given. You know, the leading causes of small business failure. Casey, what would you think number one would be? I would think uh, no money, probably. Uh, uh, No, that isn't it, believe it or not. Number one is incompetence at 46%. Number two is unbalanced experience or a lack of managerial experience, 30%. And then number three is a catch-all sort of category, neglect, fraud, disaster, 13%. And, and money is only about 11%. Wow. So isn't that amazing? So people think because their checkbook is thick, they're good to go. Uh, uh, but you need more than just money. Then here's some interesting finance statistics. Uh, uh, a vast majority of startup funds came from entrepreneur. Uh, so they normally fund themselves. Roughly 82% of small businesses fund themselves. This is really hard to get a loan. 77% rely on personal savings for their initial funds. That's why I get upset when they fail because whole family savings go down the tubes. Every time I see a empty storefront, I always think of the family, you know, who, who banked their future on it. 40% are profitable, 30% break even. and 30% are continuously losing money. Having two founders rather than one significantly increases your odds of success. Isn't that interesting? Oh, wow. So you're better off with a partner, Casey. Yeah. Which a lot of people would say no, but statistically, you are better off with a partner. Uh, 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 with a partner, uh, your odds you'll raise 30% more money, have three times the user growth, and about 19% less likely to scale prematurely. I guess you sort of check balance each other out. And here's an interesting one. These are the businesses that have the best startup statistics. And this one sort of surprised me a little bit. The most profitable small business industries by profit margin are accounting, tax preparation, bookkeeping, and payroll services. When you see all these things, like uh, uh, Mr. Block, congratulations. I didn't realize doing taxes was so freaking profitable. But, uh, uh, you know, I guess it's a computer program. You push a button, it prints out the other side, and you collect some money. Interesting. These are the worst startup statistics. Of all startups, companies most likely to fail with a 37% success rate, oil and gas extraction, but we're not, I don't think any of us are going to go build oil wells tomorrow, uh, mining, beverage manufacturing, which is my turf, is not so good. Grocery stores are not doing so well right now because margins are so hot. So, if you were going to start a new business, what would you start today, Casey? Would you go to a franchise? Would you do your own thing? Uh, which would you be inclined to do?
1: You know, I, yeah. I, I I think the taxes are something. You know, because it's it's uh, everyone needs to pay the taxes. The government's always going to come for their money. Uh, it, it just it's going to be around forever. I think I'd do that.
0: So, so, so uh, 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 you're saying you might do a franchise?
1: Yeah, I franchise for sure.
0: So so, let's take a look at this. So franchises, everybody's <laughs> says, oh, yeah, I got a franchise, 95% success ratio. What a crock of bullshit that is. Casey. Okay, when I look at franchise statistics, and I pulled a whole bunch of numbers for today's show that I'm going to share with you in a minute, some of them are, are, are freaking awful. So franchise success ratio, I see, runs anywhere from 95% with certain ones down to maybe 18% which means the odds are very strongly against you, (laughs) with some others. So according to Forbes magazine, pretty credible source, you agree, Casey? Yep. Forbes is straight business. These are the top high-investment franchises in America. You'll find this surprising. So they took franchise investments and they categorized it into three. High investment, which is more than a half a million dollars, medium investment, which is one hundred and fifty to five hundred thousand, and low investment, which is under one hundred and fifty grand. With big investment franchises, number one, believe it or not, you are going to be shocked is Freddy's Steak Burgers. Number two is Culver's Butter Burgers and Frozen Custard. And here is why: the five-year growth rate of that company is six point five percent. Planet Fitness is number three. The five-year growth rate of revenue is twenty-two percent. Firehouse Subs is number four with a five-year growth rate of 16.5%. Steak and Shake, 16.5%. Hyatt Place Hotels, 18.9% growth. Panera Bread, 7.8%. Pretty interesting. Massage Envy came in at number 10. It cost about seven hundred and fifty-six grand to open one. And it, they're growing at 8.3% a year in sales. Not bad. Not bad. So those are the top ones in the me- medium price range, right, which is uh, 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 under with a medium investment rate of about 250 These are the interesting ones. Sport Clips came in at number one with a growth rate of 12.3%. Not bad. You can get into one for about a quarter of a million bucks. School of Rock. Now we're talking, Casey. <laughs> School of Rock has a five-year growth rate of 18.5%. <laughs> Unbelievable. Nothing but bunt cakes, the franchise. Uh, 398,000 to open one has a growth rate of 32.1% over the next five years. Those are good, though. Big numbers. Okay, so if we take a look at the lower ones... Right right at home is a cleaning service. Soccer shots is one. Mathnasium is 19.9% growth. Painting with a twist, 40.5% growth over five years. Mosquito squad, I guess you got to wear one of those face masks, 16.3%. Made pro, 9.4%. So there's a lot of opportunities out there. Not bad, hey, Casey? Not bad. Okay, so now let's talk about the bad ones and this is Forbes magazine, these are not my personal opinions, I'm just reading from from their research, the bottom rankings. Number one, Godfather's Pizza, five-year growth rate, minus 7.70%. That's a franchise you don't want. Guesthouse is minus 15.61%. Gotti's Pizza, minus 18%. Z Pizza, minus 11%. Baja Fresh, minus 9.69%. World Gym minus six percent. So Chili's, you know, three million bucks to open one minus eight point three percent. Oh wow! So it isn't just picking a franchise that'll make you it successful. It's pitching a better franchise. You got to do your homework like anything else, Casey. But there was some great opportunity in that list. Do you agree? I mean, opening up with that kind of growth with some of these is
1: pretty cool. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm not surprised about Chili's, though. Chili's quality has really gone down lately. I used to eat there all the time. Not anymore.
0: (laughs) No, me too. Many years ago, I used to like their fajitas years ago. They're really good. Then they changed the recipe, and just the whole brand lost its energy. It's a shame, and it's owned by Brinker, and, and a number of their brands have lost their energy over the years, which is really a shame. So how do you make a business successful? So I wanted to talk about that for a couple of minutes. So, Casey, I think we've agreed there's great opportunity out there today, right, for everyone. doesn't matter where you're coming from. Do you know that urban poverty is now at the lowest level uh, uh, in, shoot, over 50 years? I was reading this morning. That's a good thing. It's great. So every community, people are getting off food stamps and stuff. So if you're going to open a business – And you want to be in that winning percentage, not the losing percentage. Even if you buy a franchise, you got to do certain things today. And it's a different marketplace with the internet and e-commerce and everything going on. So I put together some interesting things from different sources that I thought you'd find fascinating. And some of them conflict with each other. So it'll be interesting to see which ones we all think are right. So according to GoDaddy, six in every 10 small businesses have yet to establish any online presence or get a website. 39% of all small businesses have been in business for three years or less, and 35% of small business owners feel their operation is too limited to warrant a website. So this is interesting. 35% of small business owners don't think they need a website, but yet 83% of the small business owners with a website feel they have a competitive advantage. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. So there's ignorance uh, uh, on one side of the fence there, for sure. And then uh, 48%, of the business owners with no websites, have no plan to build one. Okay, so let's talk about some interesting things that are going on today. So business community, business two community, reveals that spending on digital marketing is now 35% of all marketing budgets, which makes it the largest advertising source in the world. Small businesses have increased by 49% since 1982. I'm gonna fire through some of these, Casey, because some of them are pretty cool. Global internet traffic, according to Cisco, will be equivalent to 95 times the volume of the entire internet in 05. By 2019, videos will account for 80% of all global internet traffic and 85% in the U.S. So right now, if you want to be noticed online, you don't do static words, you do video. Video is what connects. It's in all the algorithms to appear and flow through. So, so there's a lesson there to be learned. Lynchpin shared that 71% of small business owners do their own digital marketing instead of leaving it to experts. Okay. (laughs) However, Leadpages said 47% of small business owners handle marketing efforts on their own. I don't think either know what the hell they're talking about, to be honest with you. (laughs) Here's what's interesting. StatCounter, who's a pretty good source, says mobile and tablet usage surpassed desktops last year. Mobile and tablet usage was 51.3% while the desktop was only 48.7. So if you have a business and I can't get to you on your phone, KC, I'm screwed because you're not as likely to connect with me on your your desktop at home as you are on your phone or your tablet. So people that don't do mobile sites are missing the boat. And uh, of all the Internet traffic, 56% comes from mobile devices. You ready for the biggie?
1: I'm ready. 78%
0: of mobile searches for local business yields a purchase. That's a big freaking number. Wow. 78% of mobile searches for local businesses result in a purchase. So anyone who's not on your phone, particularly local businesses, is freaking crazy, man. So 58% of revenue going to mobile retailers comes from mobile websites. So 58% of all retail business online is coming from mobile sites. So it's interesting. If we take a look at business today, the numbers are out there. Okay, so you can pick a franchise that makes sense for your region. All the statistics and numbers are out there online. Look at who's strong in what region. Come up with the amount of money you can spend. Franchise companies today help with loans. They'll help you get the darn thing financed too. So it. Is really a lot easier today to start a small business than people might think. And you know, my last book, Don't BS Yourself, Stop the Excuses That Are Holding You Back, you know, those excuses, one of the big ones was fear. People are scared to start their own business. They're scared to move forward. I have a relative who's that way. He's working in a job, and he's he's scared uh, 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 to take a chance and, and do his own thing, even though he'd be extremely talented if he did. So fear is a big one, buddy. But in today's economic climate, you shouldn't be scared. Don't you agree, Casey? Yeah, you're right. This time not to be scared. The other big fear that people have that I put in my book was scarcity. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough this. I don't have that. Uh, you know, a lot of those franchises I mentioned were very low dollars. Some of them you can open go online. You can open franchises for ten, twenty grand today. So and they'll lend you some of the money, they'll waive startup franchise fees. I remember there was a pizza franchise giving you free ovens, waving franchise for franchise fees. They got you in business pretty darn quickly. So, you know, scarcity is not a reason today. You don't have to have much to start a new business. You know, and then the other one was ego. You know, a lot of people don't know this. I used to own Hooters in North Dakota uh, with a partner of mine. I owned a franchise for Hooters restaurants in North Dakota many, many years ago. And and, uh, uh, I sold my interest in it because I didn't like it, to be honest with you. And, 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 you know, I put my ego before it. You know, I didn't love certain things about it, so I got out of the business. But, you know, you don't put ego in business. Sometimes the biggest ego, Casey, that guy's got the thinnest wallet, if you know what I'm saying. So, so, you don't want to put ego before a franchise. If you can make a couple million dollars making sandwiches, Casey, is there anything wrong with that? Not at all. No- You can make yourself a couple million dollars owning a company that cleans houses. Is there anything wrong with that? Not at all. What about a drainage cleaning company, one of those pump companies? You make yourself a million bucks a year. Is there anything wrong with that?
1: Not at all.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What about the guy collecting garbage every day, making himself a nice living and taking care of his family? Is there anything wrong with that?
1: Give me the trash bags, John.
0: (laughs) I hear you, buddy. So the fact of the matter is ego gets in our freaking way. You know, ego is success. And to me, the greatest guy who should have the greatest ego is the one who has the thickest wallet. So, you know, ego doesn't really get in the way anymore. And then, you know, the other big excuse for my book was knowledge. So we had fear, scarcity, ego, and knowledge. Well, I don't know enough uh, 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 to be successful at this. Boy, when was the last time you're at YouTube, Casey, and you want to learn anything? Go where? YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> You'll find the video that'll <laughs> teach you. You'll probably find hundreds of them. That doesn't mean everyone is right, but you can sort through it. If you're going to buy a franchise, their whole purpose is to teach you everything. So knowledge doesn't mean bull if, if you're going to get into the franchise business. Knowledge can be had too, buddy. If you want to learn to be a bartender or a manager or a retailer, go work in a retail store for six, eight months. Start to learn the business and then do your franchise. So knowledge isn't a valid excuse either anymore. And then the last one of the big six that I talk about is time. Oh, man, I'm out of time. Hey, you know, Casey, you know, I would have done it, buddy, but I just didn't have the time. <laughs> yeah, but you, but you sat on Facebook for two hours every freaking day. What are you talking about you didn't have the time? Casey, if buying a purple striped shirt was important to you today, you would find the freaking time, wouldn't you? So when people say, I don't have the time, that isn't what they're saying. They're saying, I didn't make the time. It wasn't important enough to me to make the time. Time is procrastination. It's bull. So let's get rid of that one today. Let's get rid of the knowledge one today. You agree with me, Casey? Because you can certainly find that. Let's put our ego aside in favor of a lot of money because that will give us the ego, right? So we agree that one's gone? It's gone. So what about fear? Is that baby gone too? Shut
1: it down. It's gone.
0: And what about scarcity? How about that one? Is that gone too? Yep, it's gone. So we just killed those six excuses. So there's no reason for us not to go forward. There's no reason for us to sit down and say, you know, what are our dreams? I know, Casey, you used to do promotions for live events. Now, you know, you're producing podcasts and radio and audio production, you know, and and this is a direction you chose to move your life in. It's exciting, buddy, that you have something that you move from A to B on. Uh, uh, You know, when people move that way, they're stepping forward. So I wanted this show to be about stepping forward and, and, you know, people who who can find success in a very, very noisy world. They stand out in the crowd. Shelton is one of them who owns the Kasbah in Denver, Colorado. Uh, when I met Shelton, he his house was on the line. He was in debt, hundreds of thousands of dollars, and, and uh, uh, he was going to close in a couple weeks, and that was his last chance and went. I came to him with my bar rescue crew, and I walked into his bar. He was not happy, boy. He and I went at it. And he and I ended uh, uh, with one of my favorite stories, and, uh, and uh, I was terrified because Shelton, we almost lost him last year to cancer. But he's, he got through it, and he's with us. How lo- you
2: doing, my friend? How are you? I'm good, buddy. How are you?
0: Good. I know you were a little under the weather a year or so ago. You doing okay?
2: Yeah, you know, God is good, John. I've been really blessed, man. I've been truly blessed. How are you doing, my friend? It's good hearing
0: from you. Uh, Same here. Tell everybody how the bar's doing. Give us a little update on the businesses.
2: Okay, so the business is doing good again. I do want to be honest. There was a little hiccup about five months ago, and society's changed, you know. There was a shooting around the corner, and let me first specify it had nothing to do with us, but because we were the closest bar... So where it took place that they kind of drug us into it. But we were able to kind of get everything cleared up. They cleared our name and everything. And we're back on the rebound again. So things uh, are going uh, well. Things are going I'm, well.
0: I'm glad to hear it. You know, when I went to, uh, and, and those of you who can't play Shelton, Shelton owns the Casbah in Denver. And I rescued his bar. What is it, about three years ago, Shelton? Maybe four. Uh, John, it, 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 I know they did the back of the bar even like two years. So
2: it must have been three or four. I think we were season three. Season we can three. We came on season three, I think.
0: So Shelton, I want to tell everybody, Shelton's a class act. He opens up this beautiful bar. He's struggling a little bit. I come in to rescue him. I'm guessing like a bad out of hell. Tell everybody <laughs> what it was like from your perspective uh, 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 to do bar rescue as an owner. What was it like beforehand? You know, worrying about it before you met me. Me coming in. Tell everybody what it's like from your seat.
2: You know, it's really hard because you know. Um, There's a lot of stress tied to it because, you know, it's different from when you have a regular job. When you have a regular job, it's the company that worries about staying open and paying the bills and doing all that. All you basically do is go to work and and get your check and stuff. But when you own your own business, you're the boss, you're the paycheck, you're the, the live or die. If you don't turn the key in the morning, the place don't open so there's a whole lot more stress involved in it as far as being totally accountable, you know, because everything depends on you. There's really no company or business to fall back on. And my good friend John came through, as usual, and gave me so much insight into the business perspective of it, you know, not just from the, um, what I call the the blame perspective of everybody thinks that it's so in and cool to have a, a club or something, but there's a lot of other aspects of it, you know, just the financials, you know, the inventory. If it doesn't make dollars, it doesn't make sense. There's a lot of business aspects that you have to learn and understand because if you're going to be successful, you got to know these things. And he provided me with so much insight into how to run the business. They're going away from it. You know, even like I said, I've had a couple of hard times, but I know the numbers aspect of it now. I know how to project. I know how to forecast. And um, through his tutelage, I've been able, like I said, to survive. And it's 22 years now, buddy.
0: Wow. That's awesome. What Was was Bar Rescue different than you thought it would be before I got there?
2: I was so intimidated the first time that you came in because I had talked through the other episodes. And so my perspective was, you know, just, just hold on, just just listen, just listen, just learn, you know. Because um, I've seen some of them where the owners get confrontational and some, you know, they take things you know, perfect they got thin skin and everything, and I said, I'm not gonna be one of those. I'm gonna look at this as a learning experience. I'm gonna look, learn from the people that have done it for a long time, that have the experience and the knowledge, and I'm gonna see exactly what I can learn from it. And I learned a lot, you know. Um, I'm still at it. I'm still here. Twenty two yeah, years sure are. I'm still at it.
0: You, know? you sure business are so, business. When, I, when I revealed your bar, I didn't change the name, right? Sure. I think it was Casbar. But I changed it. What was it like when you walked in the first time?
2: Oh, my God. You know, John, I promise you, I think you guys just showed. It was a, every time the show comes on, I just got to say, every time that this show comes on, when you guys show that first episode, I have gotten calls from as far away as Argentina from folks that just said, you know what, good luck, best of luck, you know. It looks like you're on your way, and it just feels so good to have so many people support you. You know, they don't even know you, you know. And when I first walked in that night, we were standing out there. It was freezing. It was free. You know, nice. it was freezing cold. Yep. And when we finally walked into this place and I saw the inside of what my club looked like, it was just, it was just, I mean, you couldn't ask for anything more. I mean, it almost brought me to tears, you know. It just, it was an incredible feeling to see the the, the transformation, you know, of from where it was to what it was now. Um it's just so inspirational, man. I just—I mean, I still get goosebumps from it. And every time they show that that episode, people—it's like you know—it's just—it's—it's just, it's heartthrobbing.
0: Yeah, you know what's what's interesting is you know uh, I come in hard and people don't realize the kind of relationships that we created when I left there. You and I loved each other, didn't we?
2: Man, you are my guy. You are my man. Like I said, I learned so much from you. And I know on the show, everybody thinks you're just big, hard-ass, you know, Easterner, you know, guy from the city, you know, that comes in kicking ass and taking names. There is that guy, though. He does exist there. He does live there. But the guy that I met and grew to know was a very loving, kind, and considerate person. Man, I call him my friend. I tell everybody, that's my buddy. I said, he's one of the best people I've ever met. And I will always call you friend.
0: Oh, uh, thank you, Shelton. So so for my listeners, about thing, two years man. ago, I got a call, Shelton. What
2: you she did for me was just incredible. And I will never be able to repay you or thank you for enough, but if I do everything that I do for me, I also do it for you because you gave me the knowledge and, and the motivation and the desire to keep going.
0: Uh, but that was in you, buddy. I just, I did the light lifting. You did the heavy lifting. So let me tell everybody. I never forget
2: story. the fire in the belly, remember? Yep, yep, that's <laughs> the fire right. fire in so, the belly.
0: <laughs> so when I was doing the back to the bar episodes, it, it wasn't, uh, I wasn't able to fly to all the locations to, you know, to do all the check-ins myself. But, but I really wanted to do your bar, Shelton. You don't know this story because I never told you this before. So in all the Back to the Bar episodes that I did, and I did, I think, 24 of them, and there's three or four bars in each one. So we did, I'm guessing, 40 bars or so in Back to the Bar mm-hmm. episodes. Yours is the uh-huh. only one that I did myself. Wow. And nobody knows this. So Shelton expected somebody else to come, one of my experts or whatever. And I walked into his bar and just stood behind him <laughs> I just stood behind you for a minute or two and tell everybody what
1: happened.
2: <laughs> oh my god. I think it's I think it did just to show, you know, that they're just coming in to do some filming and everything. I look up, I turn around, there's John Caffer in the reel, in the real, right behind me, and I, I I I was just shocked. I was in total shock. All I could like do is go give him a big ass hug and say, What's going on, my guy? How you Bye. been? It was just such a surprise. It was so good to see you, man. And I couldn't believe that you actually came back out. Because, no, I was not expecting you to be there, you know, physically <laughs> at all.
0: Well, I was. So Shelton spins Incredible. around gives me a hug so tight, I had to sit down for a second to catch my breath. Remember <laughs> that, buddy? It's, uh, it so. was just
2: good to see you, my friend. It was so good uh, to see you. It really was. Uh,
0: what would you What would you say to somebody who's thinking about doing bar rescue, another owner?
2: Do it. Do it do it. And just, and, and just trust and believe and listen. If you listen, if you trust and you believe, these guys aren't doing this just because it's, you know, something to do. They know what they're talking about. They know what they're doing. And all you got to do is trust in them and believe in them. And you're going to do just fine, you know. I know sometimes, like I said, there were days when I thought, you know, well, I'm just going to call today. I'm going to wrap it up. It's, it's a wrap. I'm done. But yeah. if you listen to these guys, and if you follow what they tell you to do, and you believe in them and believe in yourself, man, you're going to make it. You're going to make it.
0: There's a great lesson it. in this, Shelton. You know, I, I've rescued now 169 bars on Bar Rescue. And well, I can imagine I how you, you one feel one when you watch them change the name. you saved
2: me, and I'll day. never forget it. Never forget it.
0: So when you watch Bar Rescue on TV and you see that I leave and they change the name and the sign back and they reverse it all back again, what do you think to yourself?
2: Like I said, everything that, I mean, I'm still the same way you left it, you know, because like I said, I'm a firm believer, you know, if it works, if it's not broke, don't fix it. But when when you tweak it and when you do the things that you need to do, that's what you're supposed to do it. And I, I promise you, if you walked in here to this day, you would look at this place and you said, you know what, he listened, he's still doing it, and we're still at it, you know.
0: So there's a lesson in this for my listeners, and here it is, buddy. You know, you didn't have an ego. You were there to make money. It wasn't about ego to you. I built a beautiful bar. I'm certain it it helped your ego and stuff. But the fact is, most owners put ego before business. And mm-hmm. you put business before ego. And that's right. why you're successful, Shelton. And so many of the owners don't do that. They have to put up their sign. It has to be their wall. It all becomes about ego. And to me, ego's having money in your wallet, don't you think? <laughs>
2: oh, yeah. And, you know, and, and, and just to say, if I might... You know, it's just like when these people have these perception of club owners being these big, you know, these guys that walk in, you know, suited and booted, and they just, you know, come in and wave at everybody and hi, how you doing? You know, that's not that's not this business at all. There's a totally different side to this business, and it's a humbling side because you're the janitor, you're the plumber, you clean the toilets, you wash the dishes, you fix the air, you fix everything that breaks down in it. So there's two totally different sides to the perception of being a club owner. But the one thing that doesn't change is. It's yours, you know, and how you feel about your own business, you know, yeah. and that's what makes a difference in the end. And it's not about the bling, you know, it's about the business. And that's what you taught me.
0: And making those people smile every night, that's what the real gratification is, is watching everybody have a great time, right? That's the that's ultimate it, payback. Man. That's hey. it. Yep. So when I rescued your bar... You had you had you You a bunch. You told everybody how much it was. You had a bunch of debt when I got there, and, mm-hmm. and you were sort of in a crisis. Give everybody an update. Has the debt been paid off? I mean, how did it all debt, work debt out for is you? That
2: I haven't been in debt since. It's almost been two years since I was in debt. I was able to pay off all my bills, all my debt and everything. Is it still hard? Yeah, because there's good, diet, there's good seasons, and there's bad seasons, you know? And one thing else that I will say is that one of the things that we've had to modify over the last couple of years is that, the whole dance party, like the hip-hop and the partying and the dance club stuff, it's just very volatile, and it's still so very risky and stuff, you know? And so what we've kind of done is we've kind of transitioned into where we do more like live comedy shows. We do theater things. We do theater seating. So we have comedy shows. We do live bands for people who can just come and sit down and watch and perform, dinner show packages and stuff like that. Um, and we still have the dancing and stuff, but you have to do that on a more reserved level because society and the social changes and the ills that are out there right now, it just doesn't make it conducive to doing it on a regular basis because, you know, our society... I mean, the times have just changed. You know, there's a different culture out there. And so yeah. what you have and to do is can... have to adapt and modify and adjust and still find a place where you're comfortable doing
0: what you're doing. Does that make sense? Oh, no, it does because you're operating the bar for your customers, not for you. And you can't do the same thing seven days a week anymore. It doesn't work. Exactly. So, you know, exactly. Tuesdays can be comedy, and Wednesdays can be something else, and Thursdays can be something else. And that's how you keep it full five, six, seven days a week.
2: And that's exactly what we We have line dancing for the older folks. We do line dancing a couple nights a week. We have a comedy show, we'll have a live band, we'll do a poetry night, you know. We do a, a dinner show package, theater seating, um, and, and it all kind of just kind of meshes together because, you know, if you don't feel like one, one week, you might feel like something else. You might feel like, you know, laughing one night, or you might feel like listening to some poetry another night, or just dancing one night, or listening yeah. to a band. And so the more that you can keep, you know, some variety into that scheduling aspect of it, um, the more that you're able to attract different styles and, and, and groups of people.
0: Yeah. So... Even with Bar Rescue, the national exposure, Taffer coming there twice, trying to plug you a little bit. The fact of the matter is you still got to work really hard. Success doesn't just come without hard work, does it, Shelton?
2: No, sir, it doesn't. You're absolutely correct. And like I said, I'm still here seven days a week. You know, remember, my son was going to take over, you know. But, uh, I mean, Uh. it's just not for everybody. It's hard on some people. Like I said, you know, I have a love for it now after getting that fire in my belly, quote, unquote. Um, You have to you have to have a love for your business. You have to have a love for what you're doing. Um, because if you don't, then it's hard to do it every day, you know. But after well, 22 years, like I said, I'm still doing what I'm doing. You know, it's my business. It's my brand. It's my reputation. And uh, one of the things that you taught me was, you know, nobody's going to take care of your business like you are, right?
0: Yeah. Shelton, there's joy in your voice, buddy. I can hear it. There's a real happiness in from It truly is. It's a blessing. Uh, you- You know, I love you. And when everybody's in Denver, go to Casbah and uh, uh, say hi to Shelton. Spend a lot of money while you're there, too, by the way. He's a great guy.
2: (laughs) John, you know, know, I love you back, man. You're you're the best thing that ever happened to me, man, in this business. And and I would just tell anyone, you know, if you get an opportunity to do bar rescue, all you got to do is just listen to this man because, like I said, he speaks the truth. He knows what he's talking about. He's more experienced than anybody that I've ever met in this business, and he can help you if
0: you let him. Uh, Thank you, buddy. Listen, continued success. Let's keep in touch. I'm going to be in Denver in a few weeks. I'll pop by and say hi, of course.
2: Come by and see me, my friend. It's always good to hear from you.
0: Same here. Take care, Shelton. I hope you guys are enjoying this show because I am. You know, I love talking to you. You know, talking to Jenny this week has been great. Catching up with Shelton has been great. But, you know, I can do a lot of this stuff because (laughs) I'm so digital. Everything's on my phone, Casey. You know, I run my entire company on my phone. And the Square Payroll app is a crucial tool for doing that. With the Square Payroll app, you can do anything on a desktop from setting up an account to paying payroll right on your phone. It's fully integrated with Square payments and time cards with automatic tip reporting, so it's great for restaurant operators. Square even takes care of tax withholdings, payments, and filings at no extra charge. And there's flexible and transparent pricing that scales with your business. It's just $29 per month plus $5 per employee. The app is really cool. You should check it out. So download the app today. Search Square Payroll in the Apple iTunes or Google Play app stores and download the Square Payroll app or visit square.com slash go slash Taffer to learn more. Check it out. It's really cool. Talking about success, to me, there's no greater success story than Jenny McCarthy. And I'll tell you why. and we'll talk about it in a moment when she's on. Jenny was born to two very religious, very conservative parents. She wasn't allowed to say boo in her house. She went to Catholic school, grew up in a very conservative environment, was almost forced to be shy and proper all the time. And anybody who knows Jenny McCarthy? No, she's not exactly the most proper person in the world. But then Jenny went to college, and the story of what happened from college to now her being a household name is a real inspiration to us all. So when I'm back, we'll talk to Jenny McCarthy. Don't shut down this podcast yet. No Excuses with John Taffer continues next. Want to talk to John? Email him now at podcast at johntaffer.com. Support for No Excuses podcast comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans, America's premier home purchase lender. Let's talk about buying a home. It can be one of the most important purchases you'll ever make, but today's fluctuating interest rates can leave you with unexpected higher payments, which can turn a great experience into an anxious one. That's why Quicken Loans created their exclusive power buying process. Here's how it works. They check your income, assets, and credits to give you a verified approval. This gives you the strength of a cash buyer, making your offer more attractive to sellers. Once verified, you qualify for their exclusive rate shield approval. They'll lock your interest rate for up to 90 days while you shop for your new home. Then when you found the one, if rates have gone up, your rate stays the same. But if rates have gone down, you get to keep that new lower rate. Either way, you win. It's the kind of thinking you'd expect from America's largest mortgage lender. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com Taffer. Rate shield approval only valid on certain 30-year purchase transactions. Additional conditions or exclusions may apply. Based on Quicken Loans data in comparison to public data records, equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, NMLSconsumeraccess.org number 3030. Okay, you ready for some tips, Casey? I'm ready. Okay, here's some <laughs> useful car tips you might not be aware of. A coffee filter and a little bit of olive oil can clean your interior. Removing excess weight from your car will improve gas mileage. And if you can place your key fob to your chin, it'll increase its range. Weird, right? Well, here's another tip you also might not know about. TrueCar Car also helps people get used cars. That's right. TrueCar Car isn't just for buying new cars. With their certified dealer network and nationwide inventory of nearly 1 million used cars, you'll enjoy real pricing on actual inventory and a simpler buying experience, whether you buy new or used. And with TrueCar, users can see what others have paid so they know if they're getting a good deal before buying. They're also more likely to enjoy a faster buying experience by connecting with TrueCar certified dealers. When you're ready to buy a new or used car, check out True Car and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features not available in all states.
3: Taffer is back. This is No Excuses with John Tapper.
0: Hi, Jenny. Oh, boy, I love talking Hi to you. Hi, Jenny. <laughs> uh, I don't think uh, uh, my listeners know that, that we're buddies, and I've done your show a few times, we, and, and uh, uh, we've gotten to know each other pretty well the past few years.
4: We have. There's definitely a connection that I don't really usually have, uh, you know, have with a number of guests, but, but not like you. You're one of a kind. Like I'm A, truly a fan. I respect uh, the hell out of you. And then uh, you're exactly thanks. who you are. And I, I, mean, I think that's what I appreciate about you.
0: Uh, well, let me tell you what my little secret is. Years ago, I read that you and Donnie watch Bar Rescue on Sunday mornings. You guys hang out in bed together and it's like a lazy day. And that was like one of totally. your secrets that you put in a magazine years ago. I want to tell you my secret. I listened to your serious show with my wife, Nicole, literally almost every episode all the time. And I find you captivating. I do. And it isn't only because I like you, Jenny. You have this ability to expose yourself in ways that that i really have a hard time doing honestly and when i look over your career and, and everything that you've done right down back to belly laughs right baby laughs and yeah. those early books moving into you know the truth about sex lies romance oh love lesson faking it and then You moving into the health space, exposing yourself. I'm just going to give you a little snapshot. The Carl's Jr. commercial was one of my favorite moments of yours of all time. (laughs) 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 Then I looked at you going in from Carl's Jr. commercials with some pretty hot stuff into Teach to Talk. Uh, uh, Unbelievable, charitable, uh, helping autism, of course. You've had an, I don't know how you do it. Uh, you're so busy with, with the philanthropic things that you do. And then I look at your TV work and then your view work. And then I look at you and Donnie. And, Jenny, you have this innate ability to open yourself up. And I've got to ask you, when you were really young, were you always this way? Did you always have this innate confidence to let everybody in? That's a
4: really good question, John, that I think no one's ever asked me in this business. Um when I was younger, I grew up in an Irish Catholic family, kind of strict, went to an all-girl Catholic school. So the answer would be no. I had to very much uh, pretend to be good. And not that I wasn't good, but I, I couldn't let any wild side out until I went to college. And I think that that's where kind of the flip happened. And I got to be myself. I got to discover who I was. And I really enjoyed being authentic. After having so many years of having to be this perfect, good girl that went to church every Sunday, I got to college and to figure out who I was. And by the time I went to Hollywood, um, I, I really enjoyed who I was. I know a lot of people go to Hollywood and they want to lose themselves in characters. They want to be somebody they're not.
0: I really like being myself. It shows. It shows.
4: So when but, singled out came out, I, I, you know, I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna be the goofy side of me, and that's what I stayed true to
5: with the books,
4: and I think everything else.
0: So I think we share something, and that's authenticity. You really are yourself in everything that you do. I never see you be anything than you, and, and it's yeah, fascinating I, I, how I true never yourself, back it. you are. What Jen?
4: I said I was. I said I was never good at acting, so I had to be me.
0: Yeah, me neither. Uh, acting is really hard. So, when you were in college, what were your majors? What did you take?
4: I originally went. You'll get a kick out of this. I originally uh, was signed up for special education. Ironically, I must have felt an inner calling, but on my first uh, week of classes. I was forced to take public speaking, and I had a horrific, and I mean debilitating, case of um, anxiety to stand up in front of the class and speak. And I threw uh, up. I I was, was I fainted. I went to my, um, you know, the person in charge in the school, and just said, "Listen, I can't take this class." I I have debilitating fear of public speaking. I just can't do it. My mom got me out of all of my public speaking things I had to do in high school. She wrote letters. She just can't stand in front of the class. She's too scared. And I switched my neighbor to nursing because that didn't have public speaking attached to it. <laughs> so it is kind of ironic that my, my career, my life, personal life, my to special ed and nursing uh, with my own son. And I had to conquer my fear if I wanted to you know, fulfill this kind of dream in Hollywood, I had to dive into auditions. And it was some of the hardest things I had to do.
0: So if you were 16 years old and I said to you, Jenny, close your eyes. What do you want to be when you grow up? What would you have said?
4: I probably would have said exactly what I'm doing right now. I would have said I want to be a television host. Um, I want to be kind of funny but truth-telling in any capacity.
2: And
4: uh, ironically, when I was younger, I have... I have audio tapes of me hosting my own radio show. I've got hours and hours and hours of me hosting my radio show when I was seven, eight, and nine, and then I've got videos of me hosting, so I was pretty close.
0: So you were a ham when you were a kid.
4: <laughs> I was a ham with my with my friends. You know, like, I didn't let too many people see the goofy side until I was much older, but I was definitely... Um, I definitely had a goofy side to me. I liked making people laugh.
0: Were your parents more reserved?
4: Very reserved. Very, uh, they're sweet, but, you know, my dad's Vietnam vet. My mm-hmm. mom, um, stay-at-home, hard-working, Catholic, very Catholic. She's like Mother Teresa, Mrs. Cunningham. And, you know, they're, you know, proud of their four girls. My dad worked three jobs, moved through Catholic school, so I didn't want to be disappointment or get into trouble. So I was kind of more reserved in front of them, and then, uh, like I said, when I got to college, I so, had fun with, with following the Grateful Dead.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, when you were leaving college, had you decided I'm going to Hollywood early when you were in college, or this was something that dawned later, or did you always know you were going to do that?
4: I always had this dream to go there, but. It was, you know, it was laughed at when I said it. It was like, oh, I grew up so um, lower middle class that those dreams were impossible. So it was more like your butt to college. When I went to school, I only lasted about two years before the police came knocking on my dorm room to arrest me. I was bouncing checks for food at that point. I was writing out $2 checks for Chinese food, and I bounced about 35 of them. Um, I was also, here's my entrepreneurial side, I also was selling fake VIP parking passes to freshmen for 50 bucks, and I made about (laughs) $3,000. But I had no way of paying for school, so I was literally living off of bouncing checks and selling these passes. And when the police came, my roommate said, the police are here to arrest you. And I opened up my bedroom window, jumped out, got my car and I never went back to college. So wow. when I drove home I went, Mom, I need to come move back in and I thought, you know what the hell I've got nothing to lose. Why don't I give it a shot now, the
0: real dream. Wow. So <laughs> so you went out there crazy? it's interesting to both get away from where you were and to go to what you wanted, sort of both at the same time.
4: Exactly. It was kind of uh, it was kind of nutty how it all worked out. And then you know what do the girl do? I'm on the south side of Chicago. I've got no money. I'm in debt now, and I'm living in my mom's you know my old bedroom. So I literally had a, took a Polaroid camera, and I took. 60 selfies of myself with a Polaroid. I looked in the yellow pages, and I looked up modeling and commercial agencies, and I wrote to all of them, put my Polaroid inside, mailed them, and I waited. And I got one phone call out of all of them that said, come on down to downtown Chicago for an interview. I took the bus down there, and she said, "Um, I brought you here to tell you that you will never be a model, and you can just be a bartender. (sighs) Wow, <laughs> which was incredibly disheartening, and I left.
0: But did that motivate you to I try hard? Up?
4: Oh yes, it's so much so. I still remember her name, and I uh, also sent her my first cover of Rolling Stone autograph.
0: Um, <laughs> I have the same story. This when this when I put together stuff. my TV show, I went to a friend of mine who used to run Paramount Television. Uh, uh, I don't want to say his name, but I'll never forget it either. And he looked at me and says, John, you will never freaking be on TV. You're too old. You're not good looking enough. It'll never happen. And when that happened to me, it became a vendetta. I was going to make it happen. So it had the same effect upon exactly. you? Wow.
4: Yeah, I don't know why we need that. We need some type of motivation in our lives, but that's, if so many people have been motivated by those people that say no, and we had turned it into success, then anyone that has been turned down should know that it's not true what they say. You decide your path. It's,
0: it's true. I heard a great quote the other day. The naysayers should move out of the way so the yaysayers can get it done. You know what I mean?
4: <laughs> oh, my God. I love that so much.
0: <laughs> but that's you and I. Somebody well, I else would have taken that yeah. no as a no. But, you know, it comes back to that self-confidence. Okay, so you had to make some pretty tough decisions. So you, you grow up in, in a pretty reserved family, Catholic school girl, and you get a phone call from Playboy. How hard was that choice at the time?
4: Oh, my God, John. It was so hard because what happened was when that woman said no to me, I exited the building and was crying on the curb and across the street was the, the people building in Chicago, because that's where their headquarters were. And I was looking at the building and deciding, I went, wow, that was the people building. Uh, I wonder if I should go in there. And I, in my heart, kept saying, no, are you crazy? Your mother's going to disown you. But I found myself walking across the street and, ringing, and going up the elevator. I walked to the front desk, and I said, I don't want to pose or anything, but I just want to know how they do it. And the woman said, Well, we've received six hundred thousand photos a year and have to pick twelve. I said, Okay. I turned around, pressed the elevator button, and an executive happened to be walking by and he said, Hi, are you here to inquire about being a playmate? I said, Yes. And they said, Well, we're having the photo shoes, we want to put on a bikini and just take a test shot and I thought, Okay, what are the odds of this happening right now? And then I had to run through my head like, did I shave my legs today? <laughs> like, I wasn't prepared for this. <laughs> so I went in and took like a mug shot because I had no idea how to pose. And um, by the time I got home on the bus ride, which was like an hour, there was because I had answering machines back in 1993. On um, the answering machine was Hi, this is Playboy Magazine. We um, looked at your photos and we decided to have you tested this October. By the time I got home, I got a note that's saying it was Miss October. Now, here's the scary part. I had to tell my mother, a.k.a. Mother Teresa, and my dad, who worked three jobs, who go to Catholic school, that I was about to pose nude for Playboy.
0: So, how did that it
4: was terrible. Are you ready for my, <laughs> my clever,
0: so, tricky um, trick? How did I, you enter that conversation? <laughs> I just want to hear the first line of how you entered that conversation. <laughs>
4: Oh my God! This is this isn't even worse. This isn't even the first time. You ready? I yep. took some of the money that they gave me, and I timed it so when the magazine would come out, my mom and dad would be on their first vacation they've ever gone on, which is a and in somewhere far, far away. So <laughs> I them off. Oh, oh the my God! Came on, oh. thinking that it would just blow over and no one would know. Didn't know I was going to be on the news and on the front cover of the Chicago newspaper saying, "Local girl who went to prestigious Catholic school poses for Playboy." I get phone calls from all my aunts and uncles who are nuns and priests and they damn me to hell, I'm saying when my parents get home they're gonna damn me to hell. I'm crying. It was, it was the most horrible time of my life. And when I got home, my mom uh, cried, and uh, my dad said, "Well, it was a worse." And uh, my mom eventually said, after three days, "You know what? You're my daughter. I love you, and I'll always stand by your side." And I said, "Listen, I promise you, this is going to be a stepping stone. I promise you, just have faith." This isn't the finale. This is only the beginning. I needed to get to Hollywood and pay off the college debt, and that's exactly what I did. And they're still proud and standing by me.
0: So they get it now. I'm guessing. I'm <laughs> guessing those photos aren't hanging over the fireplace in the living room, though.
4: No. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I will say that they, um, they they they've been with me when people come up and ask for autographs, and they realize now that. They really did, really did use it as a stepping stone. You know, a lot of girls, when I was in the Playboy Mansion, that was their finale. They were like, we made it. End of story. And I was looking around like, what are you talking about? You I kept saying I wanted to get into comedy. I wanted to host, which by the way, people thought was a joke. They're like, playmates can't speak. Playmates aren't funny. Playmates don't make fun of themselves. And that was a whole other thing I had to try to knock down was that, those but, doors that were closed, going, in know, no, sweetheart, we just
0: need your boobs. Shut up. But, you know, you, you're a, a guy's girl, life. and that's what came out of your personality over the years. You remind me very much of my wife, Nicole. You just saw it briefly last time I was on your show. But but you're a guy's mm-hmm. girl. You know that. And, and uh, you know, totally. you can be sitting in a room with five guys and become almost one of us, right? And, oh, and jump in a gutter I, I, I with us when I we do it. That's you.
4: Mm-hmm. You got me. That's 100% right. I don't do ladies tea. I drink beer and play poker with the boys.
0: (laughs) There is a a fine line for for females. This is a guy's perspective. I'll get myself in trouble for saying this. You know, women can be beautiful, cute, and sexy and it's very hard to be all three as a woman. You know, if you're beautiful and sexy, it's hard to be cute. If you're a little cute and beautiful, it's hard to be sexy when you're cute. And it's really hard oh. to balance all that stuff. You do because of your authenticity, which which is uh uh amazing to me. And uh uh By the way, one of my biggest thrills is when I did your show the first time and Donnie came on and the three of us were talking about Bar Rescue and and how much you love that show. But I got a kick out of your your new uh, 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 lemonade and strawberry lemonade drinks that you're doing. Tell me about those because that's my world, the whole beverage thing. Tell me about what you're doing.
4: I I love it, too. I keep waiting to do the show, too, right? Oh, do it! Um, so, blondies was this invention, and um, before I called you, by the way, I was—you had me reflecting on my life and my businesses, and I was thinking about anything that has worked in my life, are or business-wise, are or things that I found that were missing, that weren't created yet, like belly laughs. There wasn't a pregnancy book that told it like it was. Anything that I—I I knew there was a, a missing space for. So, blondies. I knew that I was a gluten-free drinker, and I know that gluten-free is becoming, you know, huge, more and more people, like yep. 80 million people around the world. So um, gluten-free, I'm also a lazy drinker. I want to pre-date. I don't want to figure out what I want to mix it with. I also don't want a bunch of sugar in it because it gives me a hangover, And I don't want to get fat. So I have this like, you know, combinations of what I wanted. So I was making, I called it the no hangover drink in my house with my friends. I would take those emergency packets and I'd mm-hmm. put them in a glass and put a little stevia in it, put some gluten-titos, mix it up, and I'd have this delicious, delicious fruity, no sugar, uh, gluten for a drink. And then I went to a, a couple of, you know, distilleries and met with a few and they said, no, I definitely want to put the fake fruit juice because it takes too long for the fruit is on the trees and you know. this milk. I want it to be as clean tasting. I don't want any chemicals. I don't want those freaking preservatives that cause cancer. I want to up the alcohol that acts as a preservative, and I want to keep it as clean and real as possible. I know alcohol isn't necessarily a healthy drink, but I don't want all the shit that comes with. I, want to, I don't want to drink. Well, in moderation, it's not unhealthy either. True, totally true. So um, that's how I came up with strawberry and lemonade. We've got blueberry cans coming out next and ginger lime and a bunch of flavors. Well, why don't you bring it on Bar Rescue? No so problem. Johnny, do you know, I had my assistant call last week to try to get myself booked on the next season, and they're like, slow
0: down, lady. We're not booked yet. <laughs> yeah, we just I just signed for more. So we start. I'm doing my new show, by the way, which I start shooting in three weeks. I'm pretty excited about it. It's a relationship-based show on Paramount. I'm doing six episodes. I start it in three weeks. I can't tell you the name of it, but I'm really excited about it. You're going to love it. And I start that. I am going to love it.
4: Hmm? You're so talented. You're so talented. The the thing is, we need more of you in the world. You know how, remember when Supernanny came on the scene and she just cut it down the line to these parents? I feel like you are that in every aspect. Like, you can go into a relationship. You can go into just people's egos. You can go into people's businesses. You can go into people's marriages. You have that ability to cut through the
0: bullshit. So I can't wait to watch it. Uh, thank you. Well, you you're pretty good at cutting through the bullshit yourself but anyway we start shooting bar rescue mid-january so so uh, uh, we're just finalizing schedules now but I'll have somebody reach out to you in the next couple of weeks and we will get it booked for sure and that'll be a lot of fun can Please I you. can uh, the two of us on bar rescue together sitting at a bar together can you imagine that Jenny?
4: <laughs> I would love nothing more. And I, and to put a disguise on Donnie, he's been dying. To, he's like, don't do far you without me, because that has been our show. It's our go-to show. And he's like, if you leave behind, that's why we couldn't do it a couple times. He's like, I'm doing mobile. Like, you can't do it without me. So I uh, said, okay. We'll make well, sure it's done.
0: Well, that'll be awesome. And and, and I, we're probably going to have to put you both in disguise, which will be great. But I'm looking forward to that. Totally. Jimmy, Jenny I love listening to you and I have for years I love your serious show you know I'm blessed to have been on it three times with you which has really been a blast you have a way of opening yourself up and through understanding you in your deepest we all learn so much about ourselves did you ever realize how strategic you are in the way you think ahead and plan your life have you ever thought of yourself as strategic but you are
1: have you
4: hmm um that's interesting. No, I, I guess not. I think, um, no,
0: I guess not, but I'm not, <laughs> not been strategic. But, you're but right. You are, never you, thought about it,
4: but I guess
0: so. Well, when you talk to me about how Playboy was just a beginning, not an end, and where you had these visions of you wanted to do this, this, and this, and then you put yourself on a process to get there, and you knew there was a beginning, and you knew there was a next step, and then you knew where you wanted to go on the end. And then you knew that you you are, are, are surprisingly, and I'm not sure you realize it. That's why I was saying this. You're a very strategic thinker. And, and sometimes yeah, I think I that, so. I for it. Yeah, that you're more strategic than you thought you are. And, you know, there's a lesson in this for everybody, for our listeners. And I know, you know, you are, are so into trying to make a difference and so am I. There's something that I think everybody can learn from our talk today. First of all, Jenny McCarthy didn't happen overnight. It was really hard work. And every person I've ever spoken to says that. You don't become a household name easily. So you went to college. You got yourself in a jam. You overextended yourself because you believed in yourself. You worked really hard. You went to Hollywood. You got a gig. You went to Playboy. You had to literally expose yourself like you never have before to start your career. (laughs) It's an inspiration for others to, to learn a few things. One, when somebody says no. It doesn't mean no. Use it as inspiration to turn it into a yes. Two, we all have to expose ourselves sometimes. You know, you did it uh, uh, in Playboy. I do it in other ways. It's not easy to throw stuff and curse at people on television. So we all have to expose ourselves to get where we want to be. And and you've been exposing your your innermost self for so many years. And, Jenny, that's what makes you special is that we all feel like we know you so well because you're so open and and that your desire and ability to expose yourself is what makes you so special. That's the lesson for everybody here is that if we don't expose, we don't get anywhere. Do you agree with that? I would 100%
4: agree with that. And, you know, it's just as it's healing for other people to hear our experiences, it's healing for us too. So, it's a person that, if you guys are ever scared to expose yourself, know that there's heaven on the other side of it. Not only for the people you're helping, but for yourself. There's nothing better than living in your authentic self. Nothing's better. And other people are affected by it in the most positive way.
0: When you went through that first process of exposing yourself, wasn't there a great sense of pride in the fact that you had the courage to do that and I'm 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 we're being physical now but I'm referring to mental ex- exposing of oneself too inner secrets all that wasn't there a real sense of pride after you did it absolutely
4: i mean there was also a sense of pride with with clayboy um, because we were so in debt that i i was determined to win the Playmate of the year and get my parents out of the kind of terrible neighborhood we lived in gang killed gunshots and i used the money to Buy them a house in a safe neighborhood. Just that alone felt so good. Like wow. that's still like one of my most prideful things. Like we always, you know, you always see like even football players and people like that as soon as they get to contracts, they want to take care of their parents. It's something innate we have in us. So when I look back, I always go, God, I'm just so grateful. So so grateful to God, my universe, with myself to have the balls to do what I did, just to at least help my parents. Yeah.
0: And it's helped to find who you are good. today. It stayed with you all this time. And you think about the respect that you have gained from us all. I have huge respect for you, Jenny. I think you're just terrific. You know, I think that, that every you. person uh, can learn from getting inside Jenny McCarthy. And, you know, thanks for letting us in.
4: Thank you so much, John. And, you know, I'm a fan of yours, too. And give my, my love to your wife, will you?
0: Oh, I will, Jenny. And uh, we got to have lunch one day maybe all of us will grab some lunch Let's one day. I'll reach out. We'll make that happen, okay?
4: I would love nothing more. And if not, I'm going to see you in January, but hopefully before.
0: Absolutely. So talk to you soon. Everybody, Jenny McCarthy. Thanks, Jen. Talk soon. Well, it's obviously no secret. I love Jenny McCarthy. And Jenny and I have a great friendship with unbelievable mutual respect. And, you know, I always wonder when I talk to people that are so famous and so successful, you know, what is it in them that created this success? You know, Jenny bounced checks. Think about the story she told us. She bounced checks. A police knocked on her door. She went out the back window and said, I'm going to Los Angeles and launched an entire career. She had the confidence to launch a whole new life for herself. And now Jenny is not only a girl's girl but she's a guy's girl she's open she's authentic she's one of the most confident people i know and she did not have that confidence this way when she was 16 years old we all need to remember that confidence grew as jenny grew and now she became a household name well there's clearly inspiration in jenny's story for all of us the fact of the matter is we can become what we want to be if we work really hard at it the trick is no excuses that's the trick jenny didn't have an excuse. Well, now it's time for my favorite part of the show. You know that, Casey, our call-in part. And I love it when you call me with problems and issues and business challenges, marketing challenges, life challenges. I want to talk about you, not me in this section. So if you'd like to be on the show, send an email to me at podcast at johntafford.com. That's podcast at johntaffer.com. And let's talk about you. Let's talk about your issues. Let's talk about problems. Let's talk about opportunities. Let's talk about the things that inspire us. But
1: most of all, I want to talk about you. So who do we got this week, KC? All right. So, John, we've got uh, Juan from Dallas-Fort Worth on the line. He's a business consultant with a restaurant client who's out of patience and out of money, and he desperately needs your advice. How you doing?
3: Good. Hello, John.
0: How are you? Good. Nice to talk to you. So, tell me the story. So, you're you're a restaurant consultant now.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, I do bars and restaurants. I've been doing it for all in all about fifteen years. Okay. Uh, mainly in Dallas, Texas. So a little bit in uh, Houston, Texas. But I I focus on, uh, I guess, in my city, which is Dallas.
0: Okay. And do you get most of your business through word of mouth and friends and things like that?
3: Word of mouth friends, and uh, I did a lot of marketing for liquor and beer companies for a good amount of years. So a lot of my, I guess, clients that I had when I was doing activations, promotions, have uh-huh. turned out to to uh, to be good clients.
0: Great. So, so, uh, uh, and I'm asking a couple questions because I want to understand the situation. So you have this sure. restaurant client. Where is he? In in uh
3: uh, the restaurant is in Fort Worth. Uh, if you know Dallas, Dallas is known as the Metroplex. So Dallas and Fort Worth are like, uh, I guess, yep. sister cities. So basically, Fort Worth is about 30-minute drive from Dallas. This particular restaurant is located in, in Fort Worth.
0: Okay. Is it in the stockyards? I'm sorry? Is it in the stockyard area?
3: Exactly. It's okay. right in the stockyards. It's uh, located literally in uh, Rodeo Plaza, which is... Right in the uh, right smack in the middle of it.
0: Okay. So by the way, I do know Dallas. I worked on Dallas Alley many years ago and was a, was a major oh, yeah, consultant yeah. in a West End in Dallas Alley, and I know the market really well. The Stockyards Dallas is Valley a. Histor- awesome. <laughs> the Stockyards is a historic area that really looks like an old Western town. Correct.
3: Yes, it is. It's and, and- basically uh, old cowboy. Um, All barbecue places they do like simulation shows on the weekends you know uh little cowboy rodeo battles stuff like that
0: okay so so tell me about the restaurant
3: okay so i get introduced to this uh this particular client by a good friend of mine he says hey let's go out to fort worth long story short i show up the guys had already purchased the restaurant uh they they closed it down for remodeling but uh they wanted to keep basically the format and 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 the look of the the uh, general look of the of the business, I guess. Um, it was it, it it's a Cuban Cuban name. The name of the restaurant was Mojitos, so okay. they wanted to stay with that with that I guess with that uh, flavor if you want to call it that. But uh, was that successful. They wanted to keep. I'm sorry.
0: Was that successful, Mojitos?
3: Well, no. And that's what I, that was one of my initial questions. I'm like, why would you keep something that wasn't working? You know? Um, yeah. That's
0: okay. So we're starting in a bad place. <laughs> Let's go from there. Exactly. Tell me the rest.
3: Exactly. It's uh, it's uh it's basically a partnership with, between three guys. One of them has some restaurants. The other one's a construction guy. The other guy's in in mechanic shops. So two guys really don't know the business. One of them thinks he does. Uh you know, I do my initial assessment. I tell them what I think. I give them, a, you know, a, a good plan of what I think might work for the area, which is usually typically what I do. Uh, they decide to no to go ahead and keep it what it is because apparently they like the name. They wanted to franchise it eventually. So they keep the name, keep the keep the uh, the look of it, and they, they tweak the menu a little bit. Now in That's- their... Uh, Infinite wisdom. They think that because they're in the stockyards, they should go with a more of a Tex-Mex type feel uh, to the menu. So,
0: but still we end keep up the name Mojitos.
3: Name, <laughs> yes, we end up with a Cuban name and a Tex-Mex menu uh, to to begin with. Um, as you might imagine, it doesn't work. Um, they they try to focus on some of the uh, the night hours, which is open late hours. And it's typical of, of restaurants in the area. You know, they open late. Uh, DJ comes in around ten o'clock. You know, and it's got yeah. a dance floor, so so it, it sort of becomes a, a not a full blown uh, club, but but you know a, a restaurant bar
0: per se. So so, so uh, a couple of things. a Couple of what, things. You know, years ago I had a client who had a a, a bar named uh, uh, Pistol Pete's in uh, Plainsville, New Jersey, which is right outside of Atlantic City. And he had a a mechanical bull in the middle of his dance floor at Pistol Pates. And he called me up. He says to me, John, I can't imagine why I'm not making money. I have the only mechanical bull in all of New Jersey. Well, when I did my homework, I realized the reason why he was failing was because he had the only mechanical bull in New Jersey. New Jersey is not Texas. They're very different right. places. Right. Uh, 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 you know, I wouldn't put a boardwalk in Texas because that's probably not going to succeed like it does in Atlantic City. So when I take a look right. at the stockyards, first of all, it's not Miami where Cuban concepts are, are prevalent and is a huge Cuban population. So, you know, right. you've got to fit within an envelope. A lot of tourists and locals go to the stockyards to enjoy a stockyard Texas experience. Do you agree? Exactly. So... I think that the best thing that you can do in the stockyards is do the best job that you can at providing somebody who wants a stockyard, historic Texas, Cowboy West type of experience. So I'm with you, buddy. The name Mojito is wrong. The Cuban direction is wrong. That's probably why it failed. You know, I hate to to be so mainstream, but probably if they did some great pit barbecue, put some great bands in there, turned it into a really killer honky tonk, they could get their share of the market. Well, I'm very, very happy
3: to hear that from you.
0: (laughs) I I hope you're taping this because I'll say something to them now. Guys, you know, you don't open a bar for yourself and you don't open it to franchise. You're in the stockyards in Texas. That's not Toledo. That's not Wichita. That's not Miami. What works in the stockyards is probably not franchisable nationally because it's such a unique marketplace. Build your business for the stockyard and listen to Juan. He knows what he's talking about. Change it. Uh, Mojitos, take the sign, put it in a box, Juan, and ship it to Miami. Okay, buddy? Burn burn it.
3: (laughs) Take care. care. Good talking to you. Thank you, John. Bye-bye.
1: All right, John, let's go over to Sanders. He's uh, in your hometown of Las Vegas. He has some questions about liquor sale law. How you doing? Uh, what's going on? Talk to me.
5: I just have a couple questions. Maybe it's the future legal minds in me and just curious. Uh, okay. And one of my questions starts about uh, liquor sale laws in certain states. So I'm from Vegas. There, there's no such thing besides having to be 21. Uh, but I go to school in Boston, Mass., and they're really strict here. I think our last call for liquor stores is 11 p.m. Uh, and so I'm wondering... It, from any research that you've done, do you see a direct connection between uh, earlier liquor sales laws and that increasing maybe revenues at bars because people have you know nowhere else to go, so they might default to going to bars and giving their business there?
0: Uh, 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 first of all, hi, Sandra. Nice to talk with you, buddy. And, and I believe I have met you because I know who your mom is, Sandra. Don't I? Uh oh. Uh oh. Because I see you're from Vegas. Then. So I know Sandra and I know Sandra's family. You know, you're know you very politically minded. So let's talk about this for a moment. Right now, there's about 700 pieces of restrictive legislation pending across the country related to alcohol. Almost 700 pieces of legislation. They relate to restricting hours, uh, uh, restricting uses, restricting portion. Uh, uh, they're all restrictive in some type of way. Many are just adding taxes Uh, uh, And various tax structures and uh, de-incentivizing the industry and consumers to buy it. And, you know, when you take a look at an industry like alcohol or or others, you find, uh, uh, Sanders, if you look at the statistics, there's about 8 or 10 percent of the industry that abuses it, of the consumer, 90 some odd percent doesn't. If you take a look at food that 's the same case. If you look at veterinarians, about eight to ten percent of them are not good they 're ripoffs. If you look at doctors, about eight to ten percent of them are not good they 're ripoffs. That statistic carries through so many parts of life. so how does the ninety percent get you know restricted to the point to to facilitate the ten percent so Some of the restrictions have been hours of operation. California eliminated happy hours for conversators, which is sort of what you're talking about, hourly restrictions. So you're not allowed to reduce prices between 5 and 7 p.m. Your prices must be the same for a 24-hour period, and they can never be below the cost of the product. So they pretty much eliminated discounting during the day. So years ago, just to tell you a funny story, Sanders. Years ago, when I owned a bar in California, when that law was passed, so I called my banker and I got five thousand two dollar bills, and I folded them in half and I used them as beverage napkins during happy hour. <laughs> And I found that the state couldn't regulate my napkins even though they could regulate my alcohol prices. So I got away with it. About eight years later, they reloaded the law. But the elimination of happy hours has not had an impact upon DUIs or the impact upon driving. Society has. So I answer your question by no. There's no statistical research that suggests if those stores are open later. That, that, that any type of DUI increases would happen or any statistical damage to society. And it's interesting because just two, three weeks ago in California, they were about to pass a law extending the operation of bars to 4 a.m., and they didn't. And, and when you yeah. consider all the restriction now upon selling alcohol, those couple of extra hours might keep more small businesses in business.
5: Yeah, it's crazy because I, I find myself maybe getting off work at eleven and think, "Wow, I can't even go," you know, pick up some beers with some buddies. So we end up going to the bars, uh, you know, for a couple hours. So I, I see myself maybe contributing to the to the economy and the and the bars that way. But uh, you know, it's just something I was thinking about. And then, do you think that some cities, speaking of restrictions again, should have later last calls? I know like Vegas and New Orleans and Miami have some twenty four hour areas, but even New York City caps it. I think at three or four a.m. and some other big cities like Dallas have caps. Do you think they, as long as the nightlife permits, should extend the hours of operations? Or is there, you know, is it just like the stragglers are hanging around down late in the night and it's not really, you know, it's safe for a good environment?
0: I think that, that a, a liquor license, in Canada does this, there's about seven or eight different types of liquor licenses up in Canada. I think that you should buy an extended hours license. And I think if a liquor license is clean, tarnished, and there's no bad reputational matters on it, that you should be able to file – an hourly extension to that license which would allow you to operate yeah. to 4 a.m. let's say and I could also see where a city would say we're only going to issue so many 4 a.m. licenses in the beginning so that they can manage it effectively but a lot of bars and states are so I should say states and municipalities are set up so that you can buy that extended hours permit it's a type of liquor license into itself I think that every uh, a municipality should allow that a certain amount of yeah. bars should be able to go into after hours clubs and that's a business into itself as a Las Vegas boy, you know that well, Sanders. You know, the after-hours business is a huge business. It's unfortunate. Oh, yeah, and I've only been 21 for so
5: long, but I can tell the impact. You know, just seeing people who are over 21, I've known, just they're out and about all night long, even off the strip, in places that are open 24, especially those the Jonies and Jackpot Drans and all those uh, all those joints.
0: Now, I'll tell you a quick story, and as one who loves government, I think you'll appreciate this. Years ago, I was I owned Hooters in North Dakota the franchise and i was building a hooters in bismarck north dakota and in bismarck north dakota they thought hooters was like the worst thing in the world nudity sex was like the worst thing imaginable so they wouldn't issue my sign permit so i got my building permit i built my million dollar restaurant it's sitting there on a pad in front of the shopping center and they're resisting me on my sign permit and i went to, to the city And I argued, you know, you can't legislate morality through a sign permit. And and I also suggest that you can't legislate morality and responsibility through the hourly regulation of a business. That comes down to the business owner. That comes down to Um, the laws, And that comes down to society, not hours of operation. And I bet you agree. No, I hear you. And I got one last question,
5: speaking of business owners and whatnot. So I'm taking a class right now in turnaround management. We talk about uh, bankruptcy, restructuring, and how turnaround managers will come in. And I, when I thought of people who I associate in, in some aspect of a turnaround manager, I thought immediately of you. Uh, we were talking about family businesses, and we did a case study on a family bar and grill and why it closed and faced bankruptcy. And so my question is, when you come in as a turnaround manager dealing with you know, the management of personnel, finances, the culture of the bar, how do you deal with that family dynamic in order to you know, avoid bar closures and whatnot, especially when it gets chaotic and the emotions of family get involved?
0: Well, that's a great question. First of all, you know, every failing business has a failing owner. We have to understand that. So personal failure is always the driver of business failure. So somebody in that family or that family dynamic is causing failure. You have to say that. So the family collectively has to understand that they or somebody in that family is causing failure. Next, when we take a look at a family compared to a team, you know, Sander, a family protects each other in weakness. Ah, oh, little Sander's doing his best. Ah, oh, little Sander doesn't feel Ah, oh, give little Sander a break. You know, that's the family dynamic. But if Sander wasn't working for a family, if Sander was working on a team and you struck out, they'd bench your ass. So, so there's a real difference in the way teams function, which is what a business should be, and the way a family functions. And families yeah. nurture each other in weakness, and that is, is the most detrimental thing that you can do to a business and trying to move people forward. So you got to break that dynamic. you got to teach them that the family dynamic cannot exist within the four walls of the business. In that business, they are not a family. They're a team. Outside of that building, they can be a family. It's tough, but you got to start there
5: right hear yeah that, that that's kind of what our our end result was, even looking at, at something small like a barn grow we were looking at multi hundred million dollar corporations where the top of the ladder is the family, and even in the big ones, it's still it's kind of chaotic, especially when it comes to restructuring and turning around a business that might be failing financially because of something like you know giving everyone another chance and not being able to get rid of people who are poisonous so
0: you know, I often say situations like that, Sanders is like a poker game, my friend. You got to have a decent <laughs> hand, or you got to be able to bluff really well. Uh, uh, and sometimes in those family dynamics, you're not dealt a very good hand, so you got to go in strong. And, and you know, you got to turn something from nothing.
1: Great to talk to you about it. You. you as well. Take care. All right, uh, John, let's go over to, we've got Lee, who's in Charleston, South Carolina, who wants to open a bar with some partners, but uh, doesn't know how to fund it or find a location. Needs your help. Hey, Lee, you there? Yes, sir. Uh, good morning
3: or good afternoon, Mr. Tapper. How are you doing? Great, Lee. How are you? I understand you want to get in the bar business,
0: buddy.
5: Yes, sir. Uh, thanks to you. You're one of our inspirations, um, my partner and I, um, the domestic partnership um, in South, in Charleston, South Carolina.
0: Wow, that's terrific, buddy. So, are you looking so you're looking to open a bar for the LGBTQ community, which is awesome because that's a great market niche if you do it well and being part of that community, you relate to it well. You know, I often find that th- that bars that fit a, either a lifestyle or an ethnic uh, group, you know, there are bars that have Persian nights or, or, or you know, various uh, 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 Latino nights and things like that. Those that relate most to the communities are the most successful at it. What do you do now for a living, Lee?
5: Uh, currently, right now, I am also in the trucking industry, transportation industry, and I'm a owner-operator, uh, oh, okay. so single single truck uh, single operator, and I'm leased on to J.B. Hunt.
0: So so uh, well. So you're running a business, buddy. You've got your operating costs. You've got your expenses. You've got revenue. You've got equipment maintenance and costs and the surprises of things breaking down. So you're dealing with all those business things day to day now. Yes, sir. And 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 what about your partner? What does he do? Um, he's a machinist.
5: Uh, he's been in the machine industry, I, I guess, ever since he was younger and left the bar business. Him and his friends were. Uh, in, in the bar industry, uh, but he was 22 at the time, and when his friends moved on out of the business, it, it just kind of went away at that time, but it's also something he's always wanted to come back to and, and be involved in.
0: Well, how exciting. So you guys get to do it together. You know, yes, uh, uh, my wife is my partner in everything. You know, she's partners in my business. She's partners in virtually every aspect of my life. So, so hats off to you, Lee, you know, to have a partnership that runs that deep between the two of you is really special that you'll be able to share your personal lives and your professional lives. It's really a wonderful thing. Uh, uh, so right. you know, it'll take it'll take your partnership to a whole new level. So let's talk about a couple of things together. First of all, location. You know, there's two things you want to think about being what I'm going to call a community focus bar or a niche bar. Uh, uh, you can be one of two things. You can be very visible and draw traffic off the street, which means traffic counts on the street, and visibility, and accessibility, and all those things mean a lot. And all those things cost more when it comes time to pay rent, right? Visibility, sight line, parking, uh, uh, high count traffic streets, all that stuff costs more money. On the other hand, if you're building a bar that's community-centric, you can build what's known as a destination bar. Now, a destination bar can be on more of a side street because you'll find it, won't you? Because right? Right. You're, you're part of a community. So if you can market it within the community and through social, through friends, and you know that you have access to grow it within your community, then you can create more of a destination location, which won't cost you as much. Make sense? Yes, sir. So you want to be near an intersection that people recognize, but you don't need to be on the main street. You could be off on the street. So a couple of things. One, I would consider something in a strip center because it it can be very effective. And at night, you have a big parking lot when all the other stores are closed. And if you can get an end cap on a strip center, you can theme it and dress it and make it really cool. Two, if you didn't do something like that, I would look at buying an existing bar. Because the most expensive part of building it, Ali, is putting all the plumbing and all the electrical and pulling all the mechanical systems and such. So if you could buy an existing bar that has the bar, the plumbing, a kitchen, the basic bones in place, if you will, and then you can rebrand it for your community, uh, uh, I think that's a great approach for you to save you a lot of money when you open it. But uh, uh, since you're positioning it for a whole new community, its history means nothing to you if you brand it right. Makes sense? Yes, sir. So here's a couple of things for, for you to remember. Whatever you pay in rent, and I would try to jot some of this down, Lee, whatever you pay in rent, you have to do 10 times rent in revenue to make money in a bar business. So if your rent is 10 grand a month, you've got to do 100 grand a month for your numbers to work. OK? That's a good rule of thumb. If your rent is eight grand, you gotta do eighty grand. If your rent is two grand, you gotta do twenty grand. Make sense? Or well, the rest of your numbers uh-huh. won't work. So look at your rent numbers and, and, and times by ten and then take that number, right? Eighty thousand, 20000 hundred thousand, twenty thousand a month, whatever it is, and divide it by the amount that you think people will spend when they come. So if I have to do a hundred thousand dollars a year and I believe people are gonna spend twenty four dollars each time they come, I'm going to divide 24 into 100,000, and I'm going to figure out how many people I need to get there a week to make a living. Make sense? Turn it into mm-hmm. bodies. You with me, Lee? Yes. Then you know the size of your community in your town and how far you can reach and social media sizes and stuff. Then you've got to look at your partner and say, can we draw this amount of people a week to make this work? That's the core of the decision. So take the rent. Am writing fiercely? <laughs> yeah. Take the rent, times it by 10, divide it by the amount of spend that you think each person will spend. You'll then now know how many uh, guests you need on an annual basis to succeed. You with me? Divide it yes, by sir. 52. Come up with a weekly number. And if that number, wow, I, we only need 300 people a week to make money. Take it if you're confident in that number. If you need 1,200 people a week, that could be a whole different deal, Lee, right? Right. That's a good place to start, buddy. So pick a familiar area that people know or familiar intersection. Don't do a Main Street and pay for it because you're doing a niche community-based bar. Uh, 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 do your math like I just told you. And uh, if you have any issues, send me a note, and I'll have Casey give you my email. And I'll answer more questions for you, okay? This was a lot of fun this week. I got to tell you, uh, uh, Jenny was just inspiring to me. Talking to Shelton again is inspiring to me, knowing that his health is back and he bounced back. And, and, you know, it's amazing what happens when we get the excuses out of our lives. Shelton changed his. Jenny certainly changed hers. I've changed mine. You can change yours too. So whatever we want to do, man, no freaking excuses. That's the deal. Talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to No Excuses with John Taffer on Podcast One. Download new episodes every Tuesday here on PodcastOne.com, the Podcast One app, and at Apple Podcasts. Make sure to rate and review. Casey, how many sources do you have for TV content these days? um john i've had like three or four probably three or four and you pay for each one each right one yeah and it adds up and then you want to watch something but one doesn't have it so you got to go to the other you got to figure out
1: where it is i have a car payment right now it's just tv
0: it's just tv so I'm really <laughs> it's really unbelievable it. pluto tv is the leading free streaming television service you don't even pay for it you can watch over 100 tv channels and thousands of movies on demand completely free They never ask for a credit card, and you don't even need to sign up to watch for free. Think about that. Free. Free. Absolutely free. You can download Pluto TV for free on all of your favorite devices today, including your phone, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, Apple TV, Smart TVs, PlayStation, and anywhere else you stream. And think about it. 100 channels,
1: thousands of movies, on demand, no check, no credit card. Pluto TV.